really to wrap my head around the subject matter. Um, Paul talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, and, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And that's kind of where I find the, the difficulty. You'll notice our, our theme for the day, God is great. It really, I mean, it sounds like, it doesn't sound that amazing. I mean, it, it, our, our language just doesn't have a word. It doesn't have a really good way to encapsulate how great God really is. Because we say a lot of things are great. I had pizza the other day. Well, it's been a while now. It was great pizza. Um, I had a good cup of coffee recently. It was a great cup of coffee. I, I, in fact, every morning, the first cup of coffee is a great. I've, if you drink coffee, you're with me here. Every morning, the first cup of coffee is a great cup of coffee. But we have these terms, and they're kind of interchangeable. We have great pizza. We have great coffee. We have a great God. And so it's a term that doesn't really, it doesn't really capture me. It I don't know if it captures you or not. And this is where I found the difficulty. I hope today as we read, discuss, reflect, that you will find it difficult too. Um, and I know you probably were thinking, man, he's going to have it all figured out for us, but I don't. Uh, I want to invite you into the uncomfortable mess uh, of trying to figure out what it really means in Scripture where Paul talks about a God who is great, a God who has surpassing greatness, the, that the worth of knowing him is above and beyond any other thing. Um, it shouldn't be, I guess, something that should be too surprising, although I think it might be impossible to get there, but we shouldn't be too, too surprised because in the Old Testament, God didn't even have a name that was pronounceable. Uh, some of you know this, some of you don't know this. In the Old Testament, they just had a, a, a couple of letters that represented the name of God, and it was unutterable. It was unmentionable. Uh, they didn't even call God by his name. And so if we, if we are created, made, held in place, Hebrews says, by a God who holds together everything by the power of his word, if that's the kind of God, that we have a God that has a name that we can't even utter, um, I guess it shouldn't be too surprising that we can't really understand everything about him. And so trying to explain an amazing, undefinable God, I've decided, is an impossible task. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try. Um, but I don't think we're going to get there. And so I invite you into the uncomfortable list. Let's get started on this. Last week, we ended the message. Paul talked about putting uh, his confidence not in flesh, which is for his terms, meaning his own effort that he would have no confidence in what he could do, his own uh, abilities, his own things that he could do to somehow earn favor with God. But instead, he said, put your confidence in the Lord. Put your confidence in God. And in today's text, Paul kind of picks up on that theme. We're going to be reading uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. I'll just invite you to join me there as we read it. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You'll be glad to know I didn't start my 30-minute timer until right in the middle of that reading because I forgot. So we got a little extra time. I got a little extra time to play with here. Woo! All right. Um, so let's unpack this. Let's unpack this a little bit. Lydia's probably shaking her head on the inside. 
This section of Philippians draws a distinction between Paul's life before Christ and Paul's life in Christ. He starts in Philippians 3, we read a moment ago, in verse 7 and says, Whatever gain I had in that former life, whatever gain I had in the past, whatever good, whatever uh, in my life before Christ could be viewed as gain, I now count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything that came before in Paul's life of Paul before Christ, he counted as a loss. And consider it a loss because of a a specific comparison that he makes. He compares his life to Christ. That that, That everything in his life that could have been viewed in his past as good is in fact loss when compared to Christ. Paul's life before Christ definitely had some things in it that would be considered loss, wouldn't they? You remember he was tasked with persecuting the church. He was tasked, in fact, given papers and allowed to drag believing Jews, Jews that had come to faith in Christ, believing Jews out of their home and before uh, a tribunal to be tried. He even stood over uh, and, and held the coats of people who were stoning people to death for following Christ. Paul had a lot of loss before he met Christ on that road, didn't he? Paul was blinded and Christ said, why are you, why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you making it hard on me? Why are you being against me? And Christ got his attention. He had persecuted the church. He had killed the faithful in Christ. He had stirred up people to do the same. It's no wonder he counted it all a loss. What came in your life before Christ that you now consider a loss? There may be bad things. There may be bad history. There may be bad habits. There may be uh, ways of living, attitudes, uh, thoughts, uh, and attitudes of the heart that, that you followed and lived in before you met Christ. And now knowing Christ, you can look back on those Uh, And I think Paul probably said this with a little regret. Uh, It doesn't indicate that necessarily in Scripture, but he probably looked back on that past and considered it loss up against knowing Christ and had some regret and thought, what a waste. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked back on some things in the past? Uh, They may be things after knowing Christ, but definitely things before coming to faith in Christ where you said, what a waste. What a waste of time. I wasted that time. I wasted that effort. I, I, I was on the wrong side, <laughs> if you will. Paul was definitely on the wrong side, wasn't he? Persecuting and killing Christians. Paul didn't pick and choose, though. Um, we, we would tend to probably look back in our past before Christ and say, there were some good times. There were some good moments. There were some valuable times. But Paul looks back and he says, all of it was a loss, He doesn't say it was all a waste, but he said compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, everything that came before that moment was a loss. Paul didn't pick and choose. He said it was loss. Paul compares everything in his life that came before he met Christ with Christ himself, and all of that up against Christ looks like what? Rubbish. Garbage. Anybody know what the King James Version says? dung. (laughs) Y'all know what that is, right? Everything that came in my life before was just 
that. We know a little bit about that in our house because we had our sewer cleaned out and we had part of our sewer in front of our house replaced uh, over Christmas. Yeah, and you know why we had to do that? Because the sewage was coming up in our downstairs shower. That's disgusting. I know what that's like. And so when Paul says, everything in my life was like that downstairs shower, um, I get it. <laughs> I understand now. You know what? Now our sewer, it, it, they, 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 they took a suction out, they put in a clean out, and then they shot a liner that like the whole, it's like, you know, clean. And we flush with impunity now. We just go through the house sometimes, just flush toilet because we can. It's like, what can we put down the toilet today, honey? Let's do paper towels. Yeah, so, yeah, I know, too much. But Paul compares everything in his life that came before knowing Christ as rubbish, dung, loss. So let's take a moment because he makes a comparison and he says it is compared up against what he calls the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus himself. So let's try, if we can, to unpack just a little bit if we can get our heads around this, what is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Now, um, the surpassing worth, that gives the idea of a superlative. A superlative is a word, let's look at a definition, that expresses the highest or very high degree of quality. In our case today, we're going to be talking about the highest degree of quality. Um, so, you know, we have superlatives in our language, the best, the greatest, the most awesome, the most high. Um, Paul says the worth of knowing Christ is of incomparable value. It cannot be compared. The value or worth of it is unmatched. Knowing Christ is the thing that is the most worth doing. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. You're going to do one thing in your life, know Christ. If you're going to do one thing today, know Christ. If you're going to do one thing this morning, no Christ. If you can do one thing by now and the end of this message, no Christ. Paul is saying, and I, I tried to encapsulate this again, English is tough because we use words interchangeably for things as, as trivial as pizza and as amazing as God, but I came up with a statement here that I'm trying to encapsulate Paul's idea. This is my best shot. He says this, the value of knowing Christ greatly exceeds the value of all other things. I'm going to read that again. The value of knowing Christ greatly exceeds, not just by a little bit. It's not just like 5% better <laughs> or 100% better. It greatly exceeds, the value of knowing Christ greatly exceeds the value of all other things. That's the idea Paul's trying to get across here. And again, we don't have a word for it, and, and, and I don't know if they had a word for it or not, um, but, but Scripture talks about Jesus in terms of some superlatives. So I want to take a look at a couple of superlatives to kind of help us get an idea. One of them is that uh, Jesus is referred to as the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was a place in the temple. If you remember, the temple was built. Uh, it had an inner room, and inside the inner room, there was a, 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 a curtain or some kind of veil, and behind that was the Holy of Holies. It was the place during uh, the temple times, the Old Testament times, where, where God was thought to reside. And in fact, priests couldn't even go in there regularly. Just once a year, they could, they could go in to this room to make sacrifice, and it was a it was a holy place. It was a set-aside place that, that you couldn't go into because God took up residence in the temple. 
Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible records uh, that in the moment of his death, the veil of the temple was torn. Does anybody remember this? And I've, I've had a couple of conversations with a couple of you about this recently, so it should be fresh on your mind. This is really fascinating. See, what happened here is God was saying that because Christ died for the sins of all men, all women, all children, all time, past, present, and future, that now God was no longer going to take up residence in a place called Holy of Holies. Now, he, through the power of the Spirit and the death, burial, resurrection, sacrifice of Christ, would take up residence in the lives of the believer. Paul says, you are a temple of the Most High. You are a temple where, where Jesus Christ lives. He, he resides in the life of the believer. No longer will there be a holy of holy places in a temple in a, in a city far, far away. Now, the Spirit of God resides in you as his temple. Jesus Christ himself replaced the place of the temple and became the holy of holies himself. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and he lived and he died and he rose again and now the holy of holies, Jesus Christ, son of God, man and God, both can reside and live in you and in me, in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at 1 Peter 3, 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, Christ suffered for sin, righteous for unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's his role. That's his purpose. As the holy of holies, he leads us and brings us and connects us to God. He cleans and, and repairs what is broken. He repairs uh, and restores the relationship between God and man. Now, another superlative, I'm only going to look at two. The uh, Bible's full of superlatives, but we're going to take a look at just two today. The other one is king of kings and Lord of Lords. Scripture talks about Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation being called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The Apostle John uses these terms in describing Christ, saying that the appearance of Christ was such that upon his robe and on his thigh, apparently some kind of writing on his thigh, on his leg, was written a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's from Revelation 19:16. On his robe and on his thigh, a name was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalm 136, 1 through 3 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. There's another, the capital G of small g's. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Capital L, small l, right? For his steadfast love endures forever. That's, that's an idea of that superlative. If you'll notice, the L, the Lord, the capital L of lowercase l's, the capital Lord of lowercase Lord, the capital King of lowercase kings, the capital G God of lowercase gods. That's a, a, a literary way of showing you a superlative that, that he's the most high God. He's the most high King. He's the most high Lord. Uh, and we don't, we don't grasp this sometimes when we read it and we look at it and we, we whip through it real quick and we're like, Lord, Lord, King of Kings, that sounds good. Let's sing a song about it. Um, but what we're, really, what we're really saying, what we're really singing, what we're really reading uh, and, and what we need to think about and meditate on and spend time really understanding is that God is greater than, than anything we could possibly um, know, understand, do, think, create. I mean, he is everything above everything. 
He's all above all. Um, he's the Lord above all lords, the king above all kings. He's the king of the highest degree in quality, if to use the superlative definition. Paul continues saying God is so good and Christ is so amazing and of such surpassing worth, continuing in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3, he says, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. For Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It was not enough for Paul to consider his past before Christ a loss, but he also considered it garbage. <laughs> that's rough. That's rough, right? That's like, that's severe. Because I think we want to look back and say, well, there were some good things. There was some good stuff. But Paul says it was all a waste. It was all loss. It was all worth less than knowing Christ and the surpassing greatness. And that he is saying to us, he, it's worth losing and leaving behind everything, all of it, for the opportunity to know Christ in order to gain Christ as Lord and Savior. Honestly, when I read this, and I have said this a couple times in Philippians, I begin to think we don't really understand how great God is. We haven't really grasped it yet. Um, and, and, and I've said a lot of words this morning. <laughs> and I've tried to make God sound great and amazing and awesome and high and holy and, and King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, but maybe it's possible not only that we don't really understand how great God is, but maybe it's possible that we don't believe it. Maybe that's why we struggle with it sometimes. Maybe that's why we struggle with ourselves and we struggle with our past and we struggle with our desires and our own will because we're not sure. Maybe because we say we had great pizza and we serve a great God it's become small to us. Maybe we need a new word. This is the uncomfortable part. This is the messy part I invite you into. The, to think about this. How do we talk about our great God in a way that doesn't make him sound great like pizza? But great and high and almighty and like something completely, totally different. The scripture that Honor read, I, I hope you know by now, um, we're in our fourth year. Lydia hates it when I say that. We've only been here three and a half years, but we're in our fourth year. That's Polish. That's Polish way of thinking right there. We learned that in Poland. We're in our fourth year being here. I hope you know by now that nothing in the context of the worship service is in the service by accident. The scripture that was read by accident. The songs weren't here by accident. And the scripture that Anna read, the, one of the, oh, there were so many things that stood out to it. Go home and read that. Um, I don't have it written here. It was Isaiah 55. Read Isaiah 55 today, but look at some of the, the, the things that, that are talked about in that scripture. And, and one of the things that stands out to me the most is where he says, um, this is the, in the voice of the Lord, the writer of Isaiah says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. 
Your ways of thinking are not my ways of thinking. Your ways of doing are not my ways of doing, says the Lord. You are different than I am, and I am different than you are. You are like everybody else, all people, all creation, all, all um, image bearers who we created in the image of Christ, uh, created in the image of God, uh, created in the image of the Spirit, to, to carry the image of God, right? We're different than God is. God is something altogether separate than us, altogether different, altogether more holy. Um, and so, man, that, that Isaiah 55 passage had so many things in it. Just go back and read that, study that, meditate on that, think about that. That's probably where we'll land on our Tuesday, Wednesday groups. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this passage, but we'll probably look at Isaiah too because it really helps bring into focus some of the superlative nature of God, if you will. Paul's statement seems severe, but remember the new Paul, the Paul in Christ said things like this. We studied this earlier in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 11. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him, in that moment speaking of Christ, therefore God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. That's a superlative. He's given Christ a name that is above every other name. It's better, it's higher, it's more holy, it's more righteous, it's more special, it's more unutterable, right, well, than every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Listen where the knees will bow at. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. No one can resist bowing at the name of Jesus when God exalts him every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord not some of them not most of them they will confess it to the glory of God the Father man uh, and, and when we studied that and when we read that a couple weeks ago I uh, honestly didn't think about the superlative nature of what he had written there but now on the on the heels of what we've just kind of discussed and opened up and began to think about he he is saying that Jesus Christ is unlike any other thing the son of God God himself God in the flesh as man Jesus Christ who took our sin to the cross died buried rose again he is uh, he is such that at his name every knee bows in heaven on earth under the earth and every tongue confesses we see in this passage as we're reading today that this is an amazing statement right a bold statement listen to what Paul says he says he strives to be found with the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Uh, the last two verses we talked about today, Philippians 3, 10 through 11, Paul talks about the result of this. Here is what the new Paul, here's how the new Paul lives. Here's what the new Paul does on the heels of all of this information about the superlative nature of God, how great he is, how much he is uh, if surpassing worth. He says this, that I may know him, he's I'm living in order that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, that's one of those statements in the Christian faith that doesn't sound real friendly. The, the invitation to follow Christ is an invitation to die. We've talked about this many times. Uh, in, in the book of Luke, he says, uh, take up the cross, right? 
Take up your cross. Follow me. Cross is an instrument of death. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And here Paul's saying that following Christ in the power of his resurrection includes sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We don't like that. It includes becoming like him in his death. We don't like that idea. And by any means possible, doing these things that we may attain the resurrection from the dead. I don't know about the any means possible. That sounds radical. Any means possible. Uh, if you gather anything from this, it's probably not going to be a surprise, but if you gather anything from this today, uh, you should gather that Paul was a guy that was absolutely 100% sold out for Jesus Christ. Anything that had to be done for Christ, to attain Christ, to know Christ, to be found in Christ. Sufferings, becoming like him in death, any means possible. Paul was going to be found at the end by Christ, by God, by the Spirit as a faithful servant. If anyone was going to hear those words that we all want to hear at the end when we stand before the Father, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the, uh, to the kingdom, enter into your master's happiness. Paul is going to hear that, but Paul doesn't want to go by himself, <laughs> Right? That's why Paul was so radical in his mission statement and in his life statement. And that's why his list of sufferings is so long because he was willing to be stoned and imprisoned and in trouble from those who were like him and in trouble from those who weren't like him and to be uh, shipwrecked and hungry and cold and, in, and, and exposed in the elements. And, and we've read that list a couple times recently. Paul was willing to do anything, be anything, go anywhere in order to experience what he called the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I'm going to ask you a question. Could you say the same? Is knowing Christ worth anything that you could give? More importantly, is knowing Christ worth everything that you could give? Could you say as Paul, I consider everything a loss? This is one of his, I, I, I wrote these two statements down at the end. They, they kind of sound like Paul's thesis statements. They might even be something like Paul's mission statements. But could you say as Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all all things. Could we be willing to say that? Lord, I'm willing to lose all things in order to know you, in order to understand what the surpassing worth, value, greatness of Christ Jesus my Lord is. Wow. That's a tough question. I hope, uh, and I think a lot of us inside would be like, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. But then you start to think about it, it's like, mm -hmm. Everything? He said everything. Really, Paul? Really, Jesus? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And his other mission statement, if you will. I want to know Christ. Could this be a prayer today? 
Could you make this into a prayer as we talk about it, as we discuss it? You can find it in Philippians 3. We've read it, but I'm going to read it again. Could this be a prayer? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Could you pray that today? And maybe the answer is not yet, <laughs> right? I'm not quite there yet. And, and I, I have talked to people before and shared about knowing Christ as Lord and Savior with them and said, uh, you know, sometimes we've made it a real easy transaction. Say this prayer, now you're saved, everything's great, get wet in the baptistry, you're done. <laughs> Train's like calling us out. Nope, that's not right. But it's more complicated than that. Uh, it's actually not. It is that simple. But we don't often talk with folks that are coming to faith in Christ about considering everything loss and sharing in the sufferings, becoming like him in death. <laughs> that the, the road of the Christian isn't a comfortable road. At least it shouldn't be. Paul's road was anything but comfortable and ended up in his death. And he died for the sake of Christ. To attain the resurrection from the dead and to be found with God the Father in heaven. And I guarantee you, when Paul stood before the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they said, welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. If you're considering following Christ today, you have all the information now. <laughs> you can enter into the kingdom of God knowing Christ as Lord and Savior simply by asking Scripture says, if you call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You can become a Christian based on the facts that if you confess to Christ your shortcomings and sinfulness, he'll forgive you and accept you and make you new like Paul. New Paul, not old Paul. But there's work to do after that. <laughs> And it's not always the most comfortable. And it's going to be a struggle. And it's going to be a mess. And sometimes it's going to be hard to put it into words. I feel like uh, we've, we've talked for 30 minutes about the surpassing greatness of God, a King of kings, a Lord of lords, and we've only just scratched the surface. So if you do anything today, no Christ. Spend time with Christ. Pray. Read your Bible. Talk to other believers. Do things with other believers. Talk about your faith with folks that don't know who Christ is. If you're going to do anything today, this week, this month, know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in death, so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we 
struggle, uh, if you will, wrangle with these thoughts and, and try to understand and come to terms with um, how great a great God really is. Lord, help us, help us to see it anew. We're not going to come up with a new word. We're, we're, we're not grammar people. We don't write words for the English language. So somehow, Lord, we have to come to grips with what it really means, a great God, a Lord of lords, a King of kings, a God of gods. And so, Lord, help us to understand what Paul seemed to understand. I'm going to even go beyond seem. I'm going to say, help us understand what Paul understood. That we could know you and Christ in the Spirit in such a way that compared to everything else, it was the most important thing. Lord, that we would live as, as Christ and God in the Spirit were the most important things. Lord, could you do a work in our hearts today, in our attitudes, uh, in our words, in our thoughts, in our minds, in our will, to change us, to be people who were able to say we compare everything that we have as a loss versus knowing Christ as Lord. Lord, we want to know you. We want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings to become like him in death and so somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord, and we pray these things today in our frailty, in our imperfection, in our weakness, knowing that you are strong, the strongest, you are wise, the wisest. You are mighty, the almighty. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ones who hear, the one who hears when we speak. The one who answers when we pray. The one who loves us by giving up his only son. Lord, we ask today that you change us in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.